Let's go to the UK and to Matt Dathan, our correspondent today. Matt is with The Times, where he is Home Affairs Editor. Uh, welcome. Can you hear me? Good morning. There we are. You can hear me. The COVID-19 inquiry. Yes, yes, I can hear you now. The COVID-19 inquiry. Uh, sometimes it feels like a million years ago. Sometimes it feels like just yesterday. Uh, just remind us why this uh, inquiry is significant. Does it again throw the spotlight on your former prime minister? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, about two, two prime ministers ago now that uh, we're talking about um, and it's uh... not sure how our connection is going to go, Matt, to be honest. We just might take a minute and move you to phone. Matt Dathan, uh, we might just move you to phone, Matt, I think. The fact that there's this COVID-19 inquiry, uh, why is it happening? And again, is it throwing the spotlight on your former prime minister? It certainly is, and uh, as you were saying, it, it does seem like a long time ago, and it was. It's two prime ministers ago, uh, but it was a time, you know, of crisis, and it's and it's really important, really, because it just shows you just what a chaotic time it was in government. And it, we're not just talking about the prime, you know, the political team. We're talking also about the civil service, and that's why it's so important to get to the bottom of it. We've heard um, evidence from the top officials at the time, Dominic Cummings, um, and also Simon Case. Basically, they've revealed a whole load of WhatsApp messages that were shared at the time. And um, what's most interesting, actually, is Boris Johnson um, said that, it, uh, that COVID was uh, nature's uh, way of saying that elderly uh, should die, which is really quite a shocking uh, sort of a revelation coming out of it, um, which showed you that the Boris Johnson, at the early, at the early stage of the pandemic, uh, was arguing in favour of letting young people um, live as free a life as possible, even if that meant that some elderly people would die. Um, you've also heard um, from various different people in number 10 at the time that describing Boris Johnson as a trolley because he kept on oscillating and changing his mind. And that led to uh, complete chaos in government and a government that was unable to leave. Um, so so the, that's, the COVID inquiry is a, is a long process. Uh, it has been going for several months, but this week it's really come into the, the main headlines for the first time, really. They're extraordinary accusations. You've got the former top civil servant saying the former prime minister made it impossible to govern the country. But then, as you say, there are also some quotes from those WhatsApp messages that would not go down with a lot of voters. Very, very blunt words used. That's right. And and this is really quite fascinating because obviously these were very private uh, discussions that were going on in government. And if they were, if they had leaked at the time, it could have ended up with the Prime Minister you know, being voted out and ousted as Prime Minister at the time. Can you imagine a Prime Minister basically revealing um, that it, we should sacrifice the elderly so the young people can, can go to the pubs, etc.? It would have been completely, uh, probably fatal politically for, for, for Boris Johnson at the time. The question is whether it is now, but that might be a story for another day if there's an attempt at some comeback. Uh, important um, news coming out of uh, Gaza with some movement at last of, of people and, and aid, uh, minimal as it is at this stage. How does this pertain particularly to some of the foreign nationals and the UK nationals, Matt? Yeah, that's right. We're getting um, some better news than we've had recently coming out of Gaza that about 400 foreign nationals and some of those injured have finally been able to leave the territory after Egypt finally allowed open the border to, to, to very few, let's remember, territory of 2 million people. 
Um, we, we think there's a, there's, um, there's, there's a few dozen uh, British nationals who, who will be among them. So that, that's good news for their families. Uh, but it's certainly um, uh, a drop in the ocean compared to the, um, the, the 1.6 million people in the territory who are, who are under threat from, from continued bombing. This has um, really spilled over into dominating um, sort of domestic politics here in the UK uh, this week in particular, because, and especially Keir Starmer. The Conservatives are, are, are almost um, unanimously behind the Prime Minister's position of um, not calling for a ceasefire, for calling for humanitarian uh, pauses, and very much standing behind Israel's right to defend itself. The same cannot be same of Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, who have... Um, Keir Starmer's really, really struggled to keep uh, the party united over, over his stance, refusing to back a ceasefire, backing Israel's uh, right to defend itself. And it all started by an interview he did um, a couple of weeks ago where he def- not only defended Israel's right to defend itself, but also defend- appeared to defend Israel's right to cut off water and power to Gaza. And that led to a lot of um, Labour MPs and councillors um, coming out and publicly criticising him. Uh, and more than the 13 uh, of his front bench uh, ministers have come out and, and publicly broken ranks and said uh, Labour should be backing a ceasefire. And even the shadow cabinet minister, Shabana Mahmood, who's, who's Labour's only Muslim uh, shadow minister, has been privately lobbying Keir Starmer, a close ally of, of hers, to try and, uh, try and persuade him to change Labour's official line. Um, he gave a speech, a very brave, um, probably high-stakes speech yesterday, where he took uh, questions, I think 15 questions from the media, um, so he's he sort of come out on the front foot and very much defended his decision not to back a ceasefire, arguing that doing so would only allow Hamas to regroup and potentially launch another terror attack on Israel, while also not, not doing anything for the, for the hostages who are still being captive um, by Hamas. So it's, it's an incredibly high, uh, very it's a tense moment uh, at the moment for the Labour Party, uh, but also very interesting politically how Keir Starmer is going to, uh, well, if he's going to survive. It's, it's that serious, the rift emerging, that his future could be in question. Sorry, I meant, yeah, I meant, sorry, surviving in terms of his position, not backing the ceasefire. I think there's no question at the moment of him surviving as, as leader. Understood, but, uh, understood. Now, the first Global Artificial Intelligence Safety Summit is probably a little bit later being held, uh, but very interesting location for it, Bletchley Park. Yes, the sec- yes, of course, it's a secret site of uh, Britain's World War II codebreakers, who, who uh, some um, attribute to, to actually winning the, winning the war against the Nazis, uh, and it's now being um, host to the summit of the well, the first AI safety summit, global summit, um, where Rishi Sunak's really tried to put Britain at the forefront of, um, of really um, bringing ra- bringing together the world and um, leading tech firms to signing up to. Uh, what the rules should be uh, on artificial intelligence going forward. Um, he's trying to skew an interest agreement on the need for global regulation of AI. And in an interview just um, a couple of hours ago, uh, he said the risks posed by AI are too important to be left to big tech firms to decide for themselves. Uh, and he said that national governments must take action and AI firms must not be left to mark their own homework. Uh, he, he said. Matt, thank you. Uh, Matt Dathan is the UK correspondent today. He is Home Affairs Editor at The Times, and we do apologise there for the difficulties that we had with our audio with him uh, this morning. Our apologies for it.